Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We've got a big show for you today. Talk about USC Trojan football and USC Trojan basketball, too. Yes. Well, we got, <laughs> as always, my partner here on the Wednesday show. Follow her on Twitter at Keeley is my name. Does a great job covering the Trojans for us at uscfootball.com. A little later on the show, we got Shotgun Spratling. He's been bringing you his podcast. Have you been following those lately? Heard it on the sidelines. Kind of struck out with a few interviews he was trying to get today. So we're bringing <laughs> on the big show. You know, we're bringing him here to talk basketball on the eve of the Pac-12 basketball tournament. Actually, it's happening today on Wednesday, but USC doesn't play till Thursday. So we'll talk about all that with him. Have any questions about that? We're going to answer those. If you have any questions for us on the show, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call or text us at 424-254-9141. Leave us a text. Or a voicemail, we'd be happy to answer it here on the air. And most importantly, you got that Apple device, your iPhone, your MacBook, whatever it is. If you got the Apple podcasting app, go to it, subscribe to the Parastyle Podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Any kind of reviews you have are, are great. We want to hear from you. Comments, feedback, suggestions. Or if you want to leave a question, we'll bump it up to the top of the list and play it at the very top. And we're going to welcome in Keeley. And I think we do have a new Apple podcasting app review for the Parastyle podcast, but welcome in Keely. How you doing? Hello. Hello, Ryan. Doing well. How are you? Can't complain. I'm a little fired up. I said, I'm kind of excited. You know, I just, your I hello Trojans. Yeah. Your hello Trojans was very effervescent. It was, it had, it packed a punch. It did. I, I gave some blood. I got some free cookies, which I love. And now I'm like <laughs> fired up. I should be like drained a little bit, but now I'm like, I don't know. I got some energy now. You might want to pace yourself. We don't want you passing out on the podcast i could crash uh after the first break so we'll see how that goes but we'll see for sure maybe you can time your crash when shotgun talks about basketball it'll, it'll yeah be that's i might go take a nap at that point yeah that's good perfect well done well speaking <laughs> of shotgun we actually have a five-star review that i have to begrudgingly read about his podcast uh, it's from bjjpo who left a five-star review and said, great job covering west coast baseball and most importantly trojan baseball thank you shotgun so look at that there's a fan of wow. heard it on the sideline. So we did not plan this. The shotguns in studio <laughs> right now. Yeah. And the, the pot, maybe he sent it in. I don't know. The positive review was oh. for him. Uh, now, I don't know. It seems really plan. weird. You know, I got this strange you know, call from shotgun, which I don't normally call. It's like, Hey man, can I come on the show? Like today? I saw, I saw this was a review on there that was really positive towards me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um Shotgun's yeah. playing chess not checkers yeah, he left exactly. it on his burner account <laughs> um but any of you out there your regular account your burner account we're pushing we're trying to get close to that 1000 <laughs> uh reviews on apple podcast so please go on there leave us a question uh we'll we'll answer it up at the top of the show if you haven't left a review for a while it does help us out uh quite a bit so please go on there and do that and you know what else helps us out go over to trader joe's and check them out uh they've been awesome to us over the years, I'd make my uh, once or twice a week trip over to my Hermosa Beach one. Actually, I actually went to the Manhattan Beach one the other day because I was Ooh. out there doing some errands. But did you know, Keely, they have their own podcast, the Trader Joe's Inside Podcast. Really? Wow. Mm, what, yes. what do they talk about? So if you read the descriptions from our humble beginnings as a small chain of eclectic Southern California convenience stores, Trader Joe's has grown to become a national chain of 516 and counting neighborhood grocery stores employing more than 45,000 crew members. How? By being comfortable, being different. Uh, for the first time, our captain, store manager, and crew members, employees, are talking, are taking you inside Trader Joe's. And so the latest episode is actually um, from the, earlier this week. It's uh, a Trader Joe's shopping list to liven up your spring eating. So if you like Trader Joe's, they're shorter ones like, 20 minutes or so, something like that. But you can listen to them, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff, if you want to hear what's going on that. inside Trader Joe's. So it's kind of cool. Nice. I went to Trader Joe's earlier this week, and I tried 
tried a cashew hummus dip, I believe. It's like an alternative to cheese dip that's like healthier. It actually was pretty good. I paired it with carrots. I, I recommend. So there's my weekly recommendation. Nice. It's real healthy. Yeah. Last week I gave you like the uh, the brownies <laughs> with uh, doc, yeah. know, chocolate peanut butter cups on them. Oh, yeah. So uh, with the, you know, the hummus dip with uh, ca- carrots, that's a lot healthier than what I was recommending. It's so switching it up a little bit. I have to be the yang to your sweet yang. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I have the you know the taste buds of a twelve year old boy. I think so most of the time. <laughs> Pretty um, much. All right, so we're gonna talk hoops a little bit later. We got some questions to get to, but there's a little some newsy kind of stuff going out there. There was, I think, this was like some random person's Instagram post that said a couple weeks ago, like Matt Fink was no longer on the team. You know, we start digging around a little bit, and uh, you know, I get from a USC source that Matt Fink was, um, yeah, no, actually no longer on the team. Um, got a confirmation from, from Clay Helton. He was nice enough to kind of confirm, uh, with me and just, you know, give me a few quotes about, you know, what he's meant to the team and, and all that. So, uh, he's, you know, still an open invitation for Matt Fink to return. You know, he's a redshirt senior. This would have been his sixth year uh, of eligibility, but because of the coronavirus, he was eligible to come back. Um, he was the, you know, basically last year you had two scholarship quarterbacks. USC added uh, Jackson Dart uh, onto the roster and then, uh, you know, also Miller Moss. And we'll talk about there's another one that we didn't really know about that was on the you know, scholarship quarterback last year. But Matt Fink was going to be the fourth guy uh, for 2021, decides to move on. He's going to finish. You know, he already finished his undergraduate degree. He's finishing up his master's uh, this spring. So, you know, everyone you know remembers him for the the YOLO game or whatever, uh, you know, in the, <laughs> against Utah, beating the top 10 Utah team. And, um, just, uh, you know, just was a, I think he was a great Trojan. He was a great kid to be around and to cover and stuff. And, uh, we definitely wish him well. Clay Hilton told me he's like going off in the real world. So, uh, we wish, uh, Matt Fink the best of luck, but that's kind of like the, the little newsy item from this past week, Keely. Yeah, there were rumors a couple of weeks ago, and we tried to track that down, and then we finally got it this week. Um, you know, it, it's Fink will always be a Trojan in the sense that he, he the Utah game, the YOLO ball is what you referenced, Ryan. That was just a, a true Trojan performance. And at the end, he got to sit between uh, Reggie Bush and Matt Leinert on the Fox postgame show. So that I'm glad he has a memory like that. And then, you know, he's just been tough. He played at Utah with broken ribs. You know, he was that guy uh, who filled in the depth chart when USC needed him and USC with their quarterback health history definitely needed him at times, but it'll be interesting now because it's not going to be as detrimental now that you have Jackson Dart and Miller Moss coming in, like you mentioned. So obviously we wish Fink the best. He's always been nice, always uh, wanted to do interviews and whatnot. So uh, look forward to what he's going to do post football. For sure. And if you want to think back just a few years, I mean, was there a, you know, what was the biggest win from the last couple of years? I mean, obviously like the Rose Bowl from a few years back, but that Utah game, you know, a top 10 team, you had Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush, uh, you know, in the Coliseum, you had freaking Urban Meyer was in the Coliseum, you know, Clay yep. Helton looking over his shoulder, a lot of pressure on Clay Helton. He doesn't win that game. I mean, I don't know. Could it have been his job? Like literally it was a huge game for USC and your star quarterback, uh, Keaton Slovis goes down and you need Matt Fink to come in and he just starts throwing up jump balls, <laughs> Michael Pittman and everyone else and uh, goes crazy. And I mean, I, I don't know, like of the, the wins, like important wins for USC, that's got to be up there from the last few years. It's definitely memorable and is a, definitely a, a college football game, if you will. You know, the, the underdog shows up, plays well, gets the win, gets the recognition and uh, so I think it's definitely memorable, but I think it's hilarious how you're like, yeah, yeah, the Rose Bowl win, right? <laughs> you kind of like poo-pooed that a little bit. It's no, no, I memorable. mean, that's that's big. You're not going to beat that. But since then, sure. like what's been, was that the biggest win? Was the Utah game the biggest win? <sighs> I mean, it's hard because I feel like this is graded on a curve because could you say that other wins would have been bigger if there was a crowd present in 2020? You know, all those come behind. You could say that UCLA at the Rose Bowl could have been a big win especially fans were there. But I think if you're going to go fans in the Coliseum, Utah has to be that big win. Yeah. All right. Um, well, so what I mentioned, we thought there were only two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster last year. But uh, in my conversation with Clay Hilton, I just kind of threw out there like, 
okay, so you guys only have three scholarship quarterbacks now. And he's like, well, actually, we put Mo Hassan on scholarship. So he was the transfer from Vanderbilt, um, you know, started games uh, in the SEC, and they never really announced it. So he told me both Mo Hassan and Micah Kroom were put on scholarship. So I got to update the scholarship distribution chart that we we uh, publish and keep going on uscfootball.com. But now, you know, so now USC will again have four scholarship quarterbacks. Uh, and Mo Hassan, he had surgery last year, if you remember. He had that compartment syndrome similar to what uh, Michael Pittman had. But he's, yeah. you know, Clay Hilton told me he's fully recovered. He's taking part in uh, winter workouts. So, uh, you know, someone with college football experience uh, on the roster, certainly to help out with the two true freshmen uh, that are coming in. And then Micah Kroom uh, transferred uh, last fall in 2020. He was a grad transfer from Dartmouth. And, uh, you know, was given the opportunity. So he transferred in in October and Clay Hilton gave him a scholarship like a month later. I mean, these were both, these guys were both given scholarships in October. Uh, that's what Hilton told me. And we didn't realize that at the time. So both those guys are on scholarship. He said they both worked really hard on the field and off the field, on the practice field, you know, working in the classroom. They had a couple spots and because they were brought in and put on scholarship last year, Keely, they are both redshirt seniors. They don't count towards the 85 scholarship limit. So they had a couple spots open last year. I think it's a smart move by yeah. USC. You put a senior on scholarship at the end of, you know, basically the end of last year, but for before the start of this, that shortened 2020 season, they can remain on scholarship in 2021 and not count towards the 85. So if they were given a scholarship like today, I think they would have been counters towards the overall scholarship number, but because they were given it last year, they weren't. So I think it's smart move by USC, a little bit of roster management, take advantage of that NCAA rule. Um, so, but now Mohassan, the, the, the uh, redshirt senior quarterback from Vanderbilt and Micah Kroom, the redshirt senior um, safety from Dartmouth. They're both on scholarship for USC. Nice. I mean, that's, that's definitely a smart move to make by USC with that whole uh, finagling the scholarship chart. I mean, good to hear about Mohassan. That was something that happened prior to the Arizona game, the second game of the season. He didn't make the trip because um, right before that, he had to have emergency surgery. So good to hear that he's feeling better. And now you have some more veteran status, more experience in that quarterback room because it's a little young. I know Keenan Slovis is a third-year quarterback now, but at least you have a guy who's kind of been around the block a little bit. Um, and now you don't have to really rely on Matt Fink, that Matt Fink role as much. So good to see that. And and Ryan, what do you know exactly about Micah Kroom? That's someone who kind of flew under the radar. Obviously, he was a walk-on, but I feel like he was a guy who we didn't really hear much about. We didn't. And, uh, you know, it's funny. We'll we'll talk to Shotgun about it a little bit later when he <laughs> comes on because he was sort of like informing because I didn't really know much about him. And he's like, oh, yeah, transferred to Ivy League guy, transferred from Dartmouth. I'm like, oh, you know, you didn't even like. And so I had to look him up like, oh, when was he? When did he come in? And, uh, you know, on the bio. So he came in the fall of 2020 as a grad transfer. So he was immediately eligible and then could, you know, continue to be a, a redshirt senior. So he didn't play uh, in 2019, but he had seven tackles and a fumble recovery in nine games uh, as a junior in 2018. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things. He's a Southern California guy originally and uh, ends up going out. Um, you know, to, uh, you know, back East to go to Dartmouth, but he was a 2013 Cal high sports, sophomore, all state first team at long beach, uh, poly. So, um, interesting. He got his, you know, bachelor's degree at Dartmouth, uh, in the spring of 2020, he speaks Japanese. That's an interesting one. So, uh, you know, it's wow. kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, his, his brother, uh, played at UNLV and then was in the NFL for quite a while, uh, Larry jr. So, eh, you know, it's a, you know, he's got some bloodlines um, and the fact that he's on scholarship and helping out. I mean, they, they got a bunch of safeties on scholarship now, but, you know, someone that's been around the block and has played some college football you know, certainly can't help, uh, can't hurt that uh, defensive back room. Yeah, for sure. Definitely for sure. Um, so, okay, so there's all that. A couple extra scholarships we didn't know about. Um, they're in there. So if you want to go to uscfootball.com, you can see our scholarship distribution chart. That's all. Updated in that, I'll put us. I'm going to do a story, kind of following up on that too. But also, um, our buddy RJ Abadi has been doing some reviews of uh, statistical reviews, a lot of analytics stuff from USC's 2020 season. Really been focused on the offense, um, 
the first few articles he's done. I think he's done like uh, four of them now. And the latest one was the offensive line performance. And I'm, I, you know, go check it out for sure. He uses some of the metrics from football outsiders. It's a good way to kind of look at how an offensive line performs, uh, looking at like yards per carry. So, um, if you look at the, uh, what the offensive line, if you're going to say, Hey, how's the offensive line performing? Uh, the line will get credit for the first yardage, you know, the from zero to three yards, uh, they're giving the line credit and then about half credit for anything beyond that four to eight yards. And then anything after eight yards is usually just, uh, for the running back, but they're saying that the running back needs the offensive lineman's help. And, you know, they rate that up. There's also an opportunity rate. It's a percentage of carries, um, that gets at least four yards. So basically the percentage of carries when the line does its job. And there's also a stuff rate that are percentage of carries where the running back stopped at or before the line of scrimmage. Um, and then they look at sacks and stuff too. There's some pass protection stuff. The pass protection stuff, USC was respectable. It wasn't bad at all. USC did give up 15 sacks in uh, six games, but it's not always the offensive line's fault. The, the, the pass protection numbers were respectable. The problem is all of those stats, you look at how the offensive line performs in the run game, stuff rate, uh, opportunity rate, and and uh, line yards per carry. Um, USC was terrible in all those, like uh, not even in the top 100 So in the country. So I don't know if that's, nothing that's shocking uh, there, Keely, that, wow, the offensive line did not, you know, it just seemed like the scheme didn't work with, uh, you know, Graham Harrell and Tim Drevno. There was a lot of missed opportunities. They just, it just didn't seem like it was, uh, you know, working. And the numbers that RJ kind of pulled out there sort of, sort of show what our eyes told us that USC's run game really struggled. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think you need stats to tell you that USC's offensive line and, and run game didn't really work well last season, but for sure, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it was interesting because uh, Clay McGuire actually went on Trojans Live uh, this week, and he was talking about just, you know, the connection that he has with Graham Harrell and how uh, knowing the scheme will influence his coaching style and and how the, the run game can be improved. And so he said, like, we don't have to practice 15 exotic looks um, that you have to force a square peg into a round hole. So it's interesting because, you know, kind of the aftermath figuring out, okay, what went wrong with Tim Drevno? I kind of was told, you know, he would spend a lot of time teaching them looks or teaching them uh, things that never really were used on game day. And so they kind of, he was kind of overloading guys' heads with stuff that wasn't really used in an air raid system. So, of course, take it with a grain of salt. That's always like a post mortem and maybe it's a bit more negative after you fire a guy. But, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see. We've talked; they've talked about it, you know, in in introducing Clay McGuire. Hey, this is really going to help because he knows Harold's scheme. He knows the system much better. There has to be chemistry. There has to be the right fit. So we'll see. You know, he talked about getting guys ready in spring, and so we'll see if uh, we can see a difference in spring and if it'll pay off once the 2021 season begins. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows it needs to improve. I just couldn't have, you know, that kind of stuff. Just knowing, you know, USC was really bad in the opportunities to pick up a first down, third and short, fourth and short, you know, you know, all that stuff. You could see it on the field. It's just something that wasn't quite working for USC. So, yeah. um, yeah, but thanks to RJ for, for doing those. Keep watching those up on uscfootball.com. He's going to keep breaking down some of the statistical analysis from the Trojan football team from 2020 and, you know, give some insight to what 2021 could potentially look like and where there's, you know, where they've done well, where there's room for improvement. Uh, why don't we take a quick break and we'll start answering some questions, Keely. And then after that, we'll talk some hoops with shotgun. So back cool. in a minute. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Let's get to uh, some questions, Keely. What do we got? So the, I guess there was a bat signal that Shotgun was going to be on the podcast today. And so everyone had to put in their compliments to Shotgun or something. I don't know. I don't get it. But it's, maybe he got on his burner again. But we got a question slash comment from Andy who said, Hi, Keely. Could you give Trojan fans an update on how Dan Weber is doing? Also, your instant analysis with Shotgun has been outstanding. And we're all looking forward to your football version starting up at the end of March. Thanks and fight on. So look at that. And that's from Calgary, Alberta. Like, oh nice. yeah, we, have, we uh, love the international questions. We do love them, and uh, you know, Dan and I will email or text every once in a while, and uh, he seems to be doing, you know, doing great there in the in the Cincinnati area. So um, yeah, I'm hopeful maybe this fall we can get him do some guest appearances on the podcast or something, and uh, you know, hear what his take on what's going on in the USC football world. He's definitely. You know, you could follow him on Twitter. He's uh, still keeping up with things uh, and everything out here. So make sure you check all that stuff out. But yeah, we love well, I love the international flair where we get these questions of from uh, out of the country. Yeah. Who did we get the other day on Tunnel Vision? It was from like Brazil or something. That was really exciting. So yeah, what? Oh, I forget which one it was. Yeah. Yeah. Colombia. It was oh, it's Colombia. Oh, it was because he was from Medellin or whatever. So that's fun. Yes. Um, we had a question from our buddy Dan class of 1962, who we actually haven't heard from, from uh, for a little bit. So glad that he's emailing us. He says, always great to hear from you each week, even if I have not been commenting. But here it goes again. Recruiting for this year has been very confusing. What with the change in the recruiting schedule and the transfer portal? It appears that the transfer portal has become just as big of a recruiting process as are the high school and junior college recruiting. Is USC still recruiting selected junior college players? Are there any offensive linemen recruits that are standouts in California high schools this year? Again, keep fighting on and winning. Dan, class of 1962. Hey, Dan. Um, thanks. It, the transfer portal is definitely a major part of uh, you know recruiting now. And you're seeing some schools leave spots open because of that, right? You're, there's opportunities there. Now, I was listening to uh, a different um, – I think it was on Colin Cowherd's show. They had, well, there was a football coach on. They were asking him like, hey, would you rather draft a player or sign him as a free agent? And even in, in the NFL, you know, he said, you know, when you're signing a free agent, a lot of times there's a reason that guy is on the market. The same sort of thing with the transfer portal. Now there's, there's exceptions. There's amazing guys that, you know, that are coming out of the transfer portal. There's amazing, amazing free agents. And there's also a bunch of free agents and a bunch of guys at the transfer portal that, the team didn't want them anymore and they're just, you know, they might be a talented player, but they don't really, they may not, maybe not a great teammate or something like that. So um, there's definitely, you know, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag when it comes to that. So it's part of the evaluation process, just like any position or just like if you're recruiting high school players, um, you're, that's part of the process that you have to go out and say, Hey, this is a guy that's going to come into our locker room. He's not going to be a cancer He's going to help us right away. And of course, they're more of a proven commodity because they've already played at the next level. When you get a high school player, you're projecting what they're going to look like in college. You didn't really get to see them play against college level talent most of the time. If you're getting a transfer, you probably you have tape of them. You've seen them play college football uh, most of the off, you know, most of the time. So if it's a you think it's a great situation, um, it just didn't work out at their previous stop for whatever reason. Yeah, um, I, I don't think you're going to see a ton of the junior college stuff. USC wasn't doing that much anyway. It's it's just difficult the way it works. It's a lot easier to get a transfer, someone that's already come from a program. When you've gone to a JC out of high school, grade issues, whatever it is, you have to be able to come eligible to to play college. And you know, it's at places like USC, it's not always easy to get those guys in. They got to graduate at the right time and all of that. So it's it was never a you weren't going to get like three or four guys a year from junior colleges. If you're USC, you could find the guy every once in a while that the you know, situation works out right, but it's gotta be like the great, you know, a, a really good, um, situation. So, 
as far as offensive linemen go, I would definitely go recommend check out the uh, um, what Gerard puts up on the site, the target list for he'll put up for the next two years. There's 2023, and he'll show you the list of the offensive linemen, not just from California, but you know from across the country that are that USC's are looking at. There's a ton of guys on the offensive line that USC's offered scholarships to, and, and Dylan Lopez is the one uh, commit from uh, Marino Valley. Um, so, but there's a you know bunch of four and five star guys out there that USC has offered scholarships to, but not as many in California. There's a lot of them from from all over the place. So, uh, this seemed to be more of a national search when it comes to offensive linemen. Um, but I don't know any, any thoughts on all that. Sorry, I kind of rambled on. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you covered it really well. That's the thing is like, if you have open spots, it seems less riskier to take a guy who already has college tape, you know, what he's at least going to do or what he's capable of at the college level that rather than looking at high school tape against guys who aren't going to go uh, D one and guess what he's going to project as, as, as a college player. So that in a way is less riskier. And like you said, Ryan, the grades thing, I think people forget that like you also have the, the higher education aspect to it. And there's a lot of hurdles to clear with that. And with a, a transfer portal guy, that's much easier. It, it eases the situation um, faster. And if we're talking semantics, I just think it's really interesting that Clay Helton has really leaned into what the transfer portal could be or is turning into because he kind of combines it into like a, transfer free agent portal like that's what he's been saying lately he's definitely using the word free agent and it's kind of become a free agent market at this point and then if the NCAA does go ahead and and make uh transferring easier it's gonna really transform the way we see players uh, uh go from school to school you know just the fact that it will become a free agent market in a sense for sure I think it's uh it's it's changed how you look at recruiting you might keep some spots open you might be able to plug some holes if you weren't able to recruit the best players out of high school or for whatever reason you missed on a couple of guys and you're able to get someone, like like you said, as a free agent. It's definitely changing things. And if there's a lot of turmoil in the program, you might see more players transferring out. If uh, things are going well, you might see a bunch of players want to transfer in. So if you do lose a, a guy at a spot, or, you know, it's a, a key spot that you can't, Fill a you you have a void that you need to fill. You you're probably gonna be able to bring someone in. Like if Nick Saban is like for whatever reason like lost a bunch of cornerbacks, he could probably go in the transfer portal and take the best of the best and and bring them in if he wants to do that. Um. So yeah, I I think it's it's definitely changing. Uh, Dan, uh, class of 1962, how recruiting has been. Still gonna be for the big programs. I think the major you know the majority of your players are gonna come from high school, but you can definitely supplement that with guys transferring in from other programs Mm -hmm. well we got an email from jack in arizona who says hey guys great show here's my take on usc's chances of being selected for the playoffs in the 2021-2022 season usc needs to go at least 12 and 1 including a pac-12 championship but here's the kicker the committee almost always wants the eye test bama clemson excluded so what does that require of sc there can be no or at least very few quote-unquote squeaker games no coming from behind in the final two minutes and no close wins. This simply cannot be their MO. To be considered by the committee, you need to be blowing the doors off of your opponents. And the one loss to Notre Dame should be close. In other words, to be considered by the committee, SC needs to control the playing field for a full 60 minutes and win by at least double digits. I do not believe that a Helton team is consistently capable of this type of contest. Um, Jack in Arizona, he also says, P.S. I was shocked to hear in Tunnel Vision where an SC fan claimed to be a 68-year fan or have a 68-year love affair with SC football. It's true. That was fun, Ryan. We had an 80-year-old caller on television who said it was great, by the way. so <laughs> He did like you more than uh, me and Shotgun, but um, that's know, understandable. Don't, don't blame him. <laughs> 80 years old, he had a lot of spunk, a lot of energy. So, he did. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Jack, we, he was a great caller. I forget his name right now. I'm sorry. but uh, It was Bert, Gil. It was Gil. Gil. Very nice. Uh, Gil, if you're listening, uh, we, you know, we loved having you call in. Hope you call in again. Uh, I, I like what Jack is saying here. I don't know. It, you don't have to look at every game under a microscope and say, well, oh, Colorado, they were, they only won by six points and it was actually, you know, they were down or they kicked a late field goal. Like if, if every game is like that, they're like beating Arizona, by, you know, in the last minute thing, like like last what they did last year, but that's happening on a wide scale. I think that could hurt you. There could be a cumulative effect that hurts you, but 
if they're 12 and one, the thing I would argue though, if you're 12 and one and you lose to Notre Dame, I think that's worse than being like 12 and one and you lost to Utah, but still won the South, still won the Pac-12 and you beat Notre Dame. So you have that one conference loss that you overcome, you still won the division and then you won the conference. If you're losing to Notre Dame and say Notre Dame's 12 and one or something like you're not getting in, like they're getting in. Right. Um, if you lose Notre Dame and they've got three losses, it's not going to look as good either. So it'd be better to lose to like someone in conference, but you still you know have a better record than in the division and getting that big win against Notre Dame. The win against BYU, I mean, we'll see how they're doing. You know, you'll probably get some points for beating San Jose State, though. I think they'll win a bunch of games this year, but it's not going to be a signature win. Your real chance for a signature win is the Notre Dame game. So I... We don't know what the rest of the country is going to do. There's, we're, it, we're definitely seeing it's going to be harder for the Pac-12 to break through this college football playoff thing. So I think 12-1 and one is legit, but it might have to be like 12-1 and one with a win over Notre Dame. I don't know. What do you think, Keely? See, here's the thing. Maybe this is because it's Clemson, but you did see that last season with Clemson-Notre Dame. They went back and forth, and they still were selected together. So, I mean, that could happen for USC-Notre Dame too, right? I guess, but Clemson's been in like every playoff, right? So like that's there's that's a difference. Why I said like, it might be a Clemson thing, sure. You're penciling Clemson in before the season. Like you're not penciling USC in. So sure. It's that's uh, fair. and that was a conference game though, too, right? So sure. Oh yeah, um, true. Because they were fake a- AAC yeah. uh, people. And and then they got to play them again and beat them. So sure. I think it's different. Um, I mean, and this is the problem. In a lot of ways, Keely. <laughs> Yes, I, I definitely understand that. That's why I prefaced it by saying, and maybe this is a Clemson thing. But, you know, this is why I hate way too early predictions is because we don't even know what Notre Dame is going to be. You know, how are they going to look without Ian Book? Um, I believe they have to play some guys on the offensive line. So I at this point, I just think it's funny because Jack assumed that that was the one loss was going to be Notre Dame. So we don't know. But I can buy into your theory, Ryan, partially because we always joke about how the Pac-12 no one watches Pac-12 football, and that's kind of where you can use it to your advantage. Like, you can just be like, oh, it was a, a tough game and USC lost, and, you know, the national writers kind of blow over that if the rest of your games are impressive. So I think the common theme, though, is that you can't have these last-minute uh, so-so games. You have to be, you have to be, do the eye test. You have to win impressively. So I think that definitely needs to happen no matter what. Yeah, I think if you win impressively most of the time, but you get a couple squeaker games, like that's okay. If you never look impressive, that's going to hurt you. Um, that's part of the thing. So you you can't just say every squeaker, like Jack, like, oh, you had a squeaker game against Arizona. They're terrible. But if you blew out Arizona State and Utah and a bunch of other teams, they're like, okay, you have one, you know, you can get a pass for a game or two that, that do, you know, doesn't look that great. Um, I don't think you have to avoid okay. that at all costs, you know, but USC's got the brand that will help them. They, you know, people want them to be good. So if they're out there and they're looking good and they go 12 and one, I think they would have a really good shot. You know, if there's, you know, if Alabama, Clemson and Ohio State are like all undefeated, that's going to be tough. And like Notre Dame is the fourth team and yeah. that's your only loss and you're not getting in, you know, so it, it really depends on. You know, what's going on? What about Oklahoma? I mean, you you got to give a compelling case. And I, I think your best chance for a compelling case includes a win over Notre Dame. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, there's a, here's the thing. If USC plays up to its potential with the schedule that they were given in 2021, they should be in the CFP conversation. Like, they, it's just, they should be. But, and this is kind of the crux of Jack's email, is what they should do and what happens under Clay Helton normally isn't the same thing. So I think that's the thing we're going to have to watch for is can they actually play to their potential this year? And I feel like we say that every off season. Right. And Jack, I agree with you. Like you look at the schedule and you're like, they'll be favored in 11 of the 12 games and they should blow out a bunch of these teams and they got, you know, all these guys returning and all of that, but we've seen this team before. So I'm not expecting that to happen. Like that's really what should happen, but I'm not expecting that. To happen, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, that makes sense. 
Uh, we had an email from our buddy Steve in Poway who said, Hi, Ryan and Keely. Listening to your response to a question on the last podcast about the issue of support staff and Clay Hilton's job security, I completely agree with your response and couldn't help but think about Les Miles' situation prior to his recent controversy. Here's a head coach who never had a losing season and almost won a national championship in 2011 at LSU. Then he goes to Kansas and now managed to eke out a 3-9 and and 0-9 season in his first two years at KU. Clearly, KU is still a long way from having all the tools in place to be a winning program, despite having a great coach in place. Bottom line, the more support staff at USC, the better for all of Trojan Nation, including a possible new head coach in 2022. To me, the moves reflect an athletic director, aka Mike Bone, who knows who knows what it takes to develop a winning program, uh, winning football program, Steve and Poway. And then he said, P.S., by the time you read this, Les Miles is probably the former head coach for KU. Which is correct, Stephen Poway, but you didn't predict the, also the athletic director. That's the one thing you missed. <laughs> <laughs> no AD, no head coach anymore. Yeah. And he did win a national championship at LSU. Not almost. Um, he won a national championship at LSU. Yeah, there. unfortunately, it looks like what he was doing at LSU. And now the president of LSU is now the president of Oregon State. So they got to answer some questions. It seemed like they really protected Les Miles from a lot of bad stuff that he was doing. So uh, yeah. it's unfortunate. So that's didn't seem like a lot of vetting was going on. He didn't really show a great record uh, at Kansas, obviously three and nine and, and zero and nine. He's now out. Which way do they go? Um, I know like Stuart Mandel is some of the media people are pressing for them to give a guy like a triple option guy a chance, which I think would be a lot of fun to, to see something like that at a place like Kansas. But man, do you, I mean, you were probably young Keely. Do you remember when they were like, like Kansas was like really good in football. What was it? Who was the, I forget who the head coach was. Um, what year is this, Ryan? This is like in the 2000s. Do you remember? Mark Mangini, Mark Mangini like Shaka. Yeah. I'm yeah. too young. Too young. Yeah, they were good. Like they went to like the Fiesta Bowl or something like that, or the Orange Bowl or whatever. Like they were like legit. And uh, wow. that was a long, long time ago. Uh, well, <laughs> just the results were a long, long time ago for what you're seeing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I need stuff there. All right. Uh, yeah, we thanks have one for that more one, Steve. Question, Ryan. You had your wrap up voice, so I wanted to make sure. We had a question from Ed in downtown LA who said, I noticed the official USC Trojans game day app has not been updated for a year and it lo- no longer sends push alerts, at least to my phone, for USC sporting events. Has USC given up on this app? Is there a new, new official app? I know this is a small thing, but it's a strange look for an athletic program that prides itself on being best in class. Ed in downtown LA. Uh, is Ed a USC fan? Does this athletic program pride itself on being best in class? I don't think uh, maybe, maybe they're trying to get there now. I think they are, <laughs> what, but that's not, a been shot, a thing. <laughs> that's, that's not been a thing before. Like I don't see Pat Hayden be like, we're a best in class. It was like, no, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't what they were, you know, striving to be. Uh, I don't know. I am not sure we can, uh, make a few phone calls or send a few texts or emails and try to find out what's going on with the game day app. I assume since fans are no longer allowed to attend events, they probably haven't been updating that because I, I, you know, it's for fans, right? For game day, figure out what's going on. Um, if it's abandoned or something, we'll, we can find out. Uh, or if it's just sort of been put, you know, shelved, mothballed, if you will, for a little bit until they <laughs> uh, figure out what's going on and fans can come. But we'll, Ed, we'll, we'll do our best to find out what's going on with that. Yep. Sounds good. Cool. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break? We're going to talk some hoops with Shotgun Spradley. He's been patiently waiting here <laughs> and give us a few like things that we didn't know. We couldn't remember. He gave us a few tidbits uh, while we were talking, but we'll be back in a minute does. with uh, Shotgun. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. We're going to add somebody. We we don't do this very often, Keely. This Let's is bring in another voice. Yeah, it's a voice, and he this guy, you know, he doesn't 
he knows how to talk. So we'll bring <laughs> him Shotgun Sprouting. Yeah, you can follow him on Twitter at Shotgun SPR. Make sure you follow him. He's trying to beat Keeley in the number of Twitter followers. <laughs> I have more Twitter followers than Keeley. Mine are just split between two accounts. Oh, okay. Keeley, response? USC followers, Shotgun. USC followers. I, I, didn't, I didn't specify. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for coming so in. Important, yeah, thanks for coming in. Make sure you check out. So, part of the Peristyle Podcast uh, feed, if you you know, if you any podcasting app you have, you get all the Peristyle Podcast shows. You know, there's shows I do with uh, Harvey Hyde and Keila Yor. The three of us all together do like a tunnel vision show, not like an actual tunnel vision show, on YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. <laughs> at least Periscope for now, and we put it up in podcast form, usually Sunday nights or Monday mornings. You can listen to those. But they've also done the Family Feud podcast. You can catch those out with Keeley, Shotgun, and Chris Trimino. And then recently, Shotgun's been doing his Heard It on the Sidelines podcast. We're talking more about some of the other sports like basketball and, and baseball and going uh, in-depth with some some really good interviews he's been doing. Uh, I guess we didn't get any interviews this week, Shotgun, so we'll just kind of lump <laughs> it all together in one show. But welcome, welcome on to the, the Peristyle podcast. You haven't really been on part of this show for a long time, I think. I haven't, but you know, I was trying to get some interviews done this week. I got ghosted in Sweden, uh, which which Chris Trevino said is going to be the, his next band name. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, I was, I was trying to do, I, I had some really cool ideas, and maybe we'll get them to work in, in the future couple of weeks, uh, but I was trying to do a basketball podcast and definitely wanted to get a little bit of basketball talk on just because you know they're going into the Pac-12 tournament. They finish, they end up the, the regular season second you know, behind Oregon, even though they have the most wins in the Pac-12. And then on Tuesday, really big news, Evan Mobley is named the freshman of the year. Well, we kind of expected that one. He was named the defensive player of the year. Oh. Uh, kind of expected that one too, you know, leading the leading the conference in rebounding and blocks. He's got 77 blocks, is the most by a USC freshman ever. I think fourth most in the Pac-12 history for a freshman. Also named the, the player of the year. And that was one that was a little bit up for debate as the, it was coming down the stretch. I thought Chris Duarte may get it because Oregon was the eventual champion, but the coaches voted for Evan Mobley. He just did so much to change the fortunes for this USC team this year on the offensive and defensive ends, and especially on the defensive end, in my opinion. So he gets all three awards. Only happened one other time, not in the Pac-12, never happened in the Pac-12, only happened one other time in a major conference, and that was a guy he's actually been compared to a good amount and a guy that I could see him potentially being in the NBA, Anthony Davis, when he was at Kentucky, the, uh -huh. the Los Angeles Laker. Now, you know, when he was at Kentucky, he won freshman of the year, defensive player of the year and player of the year. So Evan Mobley was in some high class yesterday when, when those announced those award announcements came out, you know, him being along with Anthony Davis, the only player to do it in major conference history. He's the only player in PAC 12 history to win the defensive player of the year as a freshman, besides Gary Payton when he was at Oregon State. Uh, so some, some some big names there. And then I believe there were there have been three other players in Pac-12 history who had won player of the year and freshman of the year at the same time. And it's a pretty good company there as well. Sharif Abdul-Rahim when he was at Cal, who obviously went on to have a long career in the NBA. Then you had Kevin Love when he was at UCLA and DeAndre Ayton, the number one pick from when he was at Arizona. So some really big names that he was involved in. So I definitely wanted to get a little bit of basketball talk in yeah. just because of, you know, you know, this the triple win that he got the other day. And congratulations to Andy Enfield as well, getting coach of the year and the entire staff. That's more of a staff award than just an individual person. They've been, you know, fantastic in turning this program around from where he took over. And to to be rewarded this year on a team that was predicted to be finish sixth in the in the Pac-12, and instead it was right there to the last day uh, for a, a, the first Pac-12 championship in 35 years. Still didn't get it, but you know maybe they're they're building their way towards that for next year or the year after that. Yeah, Andy Enfield, Coach of the Year. It's funny. So if you go in the Peristyle, uh, you know USAFootball.com, the Peristyle is our main message board. People bring up these old threads, and there was a thread that you know Andy Enfield needs to be fired, so he wins that award, and that just kind of brought some new light to that thread. So what have the fans been saying about that? I mean, cause you know, obviously the, the road trip to uh, Utah and Colorado didn't go as planned and that cost USC the regular season championship, but if, are fans kind of okay with Andy Edfield now or where, where, where do they stand with him? You know how, you know, fortunes, uh, fortunes and opinions sway can quickly. 
Um, USC obviously getting the the big game winner from Tajidi over UCLA, a game they never led until the final (laughs) 1.4 seconds after that big shot from him. You know, they struggled out of the gate, and then you were able to pick it up. Uh, Chris Capco really got into the players uh, during a timeout early in the game, and that kind of churned their fortunes, and slowly they crept back in. But, you know, after that game, and especially the game threads, I don't know if you ever go back and look at the football game threads, Ryan. I never do. I never do. (laughs) Just because there's so much vitriol thrown during the second quarter of a game about one in particular player. And he comes in the second half, and that player has two interceptions or something, and suddenly he's the best player ever. Yeah. Uh, So I I try to avoid those. But basketball ones, you know, they've picked up momentum, which is great to see. Great to see more people, you know, being interested in basketball on the the peristyle. They picked up some more interest, so I followed along at some of them. And it was interesting to see that game thread, how things changed in that one. And that thread you're referring to, that infield should be fired, is not that old. It's not like this one came up from 2018 <laughs> or something, someone, which is always interesting to me when people bring up threads that are multiple years old right. just to say, I told you so. Yeah. Uh, but this one was actually after that mountain trip that you talked about. You know, they had lost three or four. They lost Arizona. They wiped out Oregon, you know, beating them by, I believe, it was 16 points. And then, you know, they lose to Colorado on the road, tough place to play, tough team to play. And then they lose at Utah. And that was kind of the indefensible one. But you can see it was a very tired team. And, and, you know, that was, that was, that's the excuse for it. It shouldn't have happened. Um, but, you know, it did happen. And they've bounced back the last two games. They've got a little bit of momentum going into the Pac 12 tournament now. Yeah. Keely, uh, well, is there anything else you want to bring up, Chuck? So right now, uh, we're, while we're recording this, the Pac 12 tournament has started in Las Vegas. You're going to be heading out there tomorrow. USC doesn't play till Thursday, but we'll know uh, the opponent, Utah and Washington, are playing. Wednesday night, so maybe you know the opponent now that by the time you guys have listened to this, but USC will know their opponent and then potentially play Colorado uh, after that. But do you want to kind of give a quick preview and then we can, Keely, uh, can get in some of the questions that people had sent in? Yeah, the Pac-12 tournament, you know, US the, the top four seeds are Oregon and then USC and then Colorado and then UCLA. So looking at that, you know, if the, you know, those are the four teams that are kind of in the running for the title all season. Those are the ones, you know, Stanford started off a little bit uh, like they might have a chance, but they've had so many injuries. They could be a dangerous team in the in the tournament, but, you know, it's the four top seeds that everyone thinks are the teams that are going to have a chance. Now, USC, their, their potential to get to Oregon, you know, if, if the seeds play out, they've got to basically go on a revenge tour. If the seeds play out and Utah beats Washington, which I think they will, then USC gets to go and they get to play against Utah, who they lost to on that mountain trip. Then if the seeds play out, they would play Colorado, who has beat them twice this season, seems to have their number. I think they won six straight against USC. So they would have to beat them. And then to go up against Oregon, so those would be revenge, and then it would be a little bit of, um, I'm not sure the right word for it, because it's not necessarily revenge since they already blew out Oregon, but it would be just to be able to say that, yes, we are the team that, that should have won the regular season title as like well. A, like a prove-it game or something. Yeah, a little vengeance yeah. maybe, I think. is the, Oregon is the might have a revenge on there. Right? They, True. Yeah, a little spite, yeah. Yeah, but so it would give them an opportunity, and you know it's important for USC to play well, to get that momentum going towards the NCAA tournament. Um, and I know there's a question that I'll answer a little bit later um, about whether it's better to win or to lose, but... I know they want that title to say that we're Pac-12 champions. They didn't get in the regular season. That's something that you know that USC has not had. The last tournament title, I believe, was 2007 or 2009. So it's been more than a decade there. Obviously, they haven't won the regular season title in 35 years. So it's big for them to have an opportunity to try to get to that championship game and you know be able to bring back a title. Yeah. Keely, you want to go to some of the Twitter questions? Uh, uh, shotgun. Posted uh, right before we went to uh, to start recording. So I know some people have some questions on Twitter. Sure. I, just before I jump into that, I just want to say if anyone wants to rewind the tape and go back, Shotgun really pulled a Dan Weber because I think Ryan, you asked, how are you doing, Shotgun? And he just blew past that and talked about awards, Andy Infield. It was like a full <laughs> spiel. So well done, Shotgun. Uh, don't expect anything less from you. Uh, we had a question from 901 Club who said, what's the plan to beat Colorado, a team USC has struggled against? Yeah, definitely. If USC is to get past Utah, they will likely play Colorado on Friday. I believe that game will be at, at 8.30, so it would be the you know the late game there. Uh, and one thing, by, getting, by not getting the one seed, by Oregon uh, State not beating Oregon, at least USC is not playing at 11.30 tomorrow morning. 
So that saves me from having to drive out super early tomorrow morning. So I'm happy about that. But the best plan to beat Colorado, I, th- I think the best plan for them is for someone to kidnap Ralphie <laughs> and hold him <laughs> hostage in exchange for McKinley Wright not playing. You know, I think that's a great opportunity, you know, just to, to someone to wrangle up a buffalo, a bison, if you will, um, and to kidnap Ralphie. They will exchange for Ralphie. I'm sure they will exchange one player not playing in a game. So McKinley Wright should be USC's target there. I think that's a great idea to, to get them. You know, <laughs> McKinley Wright is the difference maker in, for Colorado. For Colorado being in the position they're in this season, you know, being up there in the top four, he's a three-time now first-team all-selection uh, for all pack 12 selection. He is a difference maker. He controls the tempo. They've got to get the ball out of his hands, something that Oregon did really well. And there was another team that beat them as well, doing the same thing of forcing the ball out of his hands with double teams from traps and different things. And then, you know, they turn the ball over a lot when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. No, they've got USC's got to get the ball down low and attack with, with their big guys and go up against the, the big guys that, that Colorado has. And, keep Jariah Horn from hitting six threes like he did in the game at Colorado. So that was a big difference maker there. Colorado shot the ball really, really well. Um, I, I think that USC does have a good chance of beating them. Um, they're they're going to have some revenge on their mind, like I said, but it starts with slowing down McKinley Wright and keeping him from penetrating and then opening up things for everyone else. He's the difference maker. If they slow him down, they can win. Speaking of revenge, are you suggesting that they kidnap Ralphie just because you didn't get to see Ralphie run in Colorado two years ago, Shotgun? I am very upset about it. I'm not <laughs> going to not going to deny that. I was bummed on that one too, man. That's always that's like your, the highlight, you know. And I, it's been years since I've seen Ralphie run. It's so cool. Keely yeah. got to see snow on that trip for the first it's time true. in ages. I didn't it's get to true. see Ralphie run. Very upset about it. Yeah, we <laughs> we had snowball fights. I think walking around, if I remember did. correctly. Yeah. So so. Trip. If, so if anyone does kidnap Ralphie, you know, if you're going to let him run, I would like to see some, I would like to be there to see some footage. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. We had a question from esoteric simpleton who said, will USC's free throw shooting prevent it from w- winning the PAC 12 tournament and making a deep run in the NCAA tourney? Also, why has that been such a problem this year? Is it just a collection of bad free throw shooter shooters or has there not been enough emphasis on it in practice? I'll start with the end and work my way back. So has there been enough emphasis? We don't know. It's, you know, we can't go to practice. And even, you know, when practices were open to the media, it was the first 15 minutes, the last 15 minutes. Or then you can kind of see, you know, who's working on their free throws extra and who's not. It is not just a one or two bad shooters. Now, Andy Enfield will will point out that Isaiah Mobley and Chavez Goodwin are shooting 50% and below 50%, and they shoot a good portion of them. However, there's not, it's not like USC has a bunch of guys that are at 90% otherwise. You know, their best free throw shooter is Tajidi and he's at 77%. They don't have anyone that's up, you know, hovering around 90. They don't have a couple guards that are in the 80s. That's what you want at the end of the game. You want someone who's got that 90%. You, you put them up on the line, you just assume that one's going in. But you also want to have some guards that can knock down, you know, 80% or so. Now, Evan Mobley's shooting about 70%. He shoots the most of them. And, you know, that's where you want a big guy to be around 70% and you feel comfortable with that. However, the rest of the team is around that percentage as well. So that's a little bit of the issue. So it could, it could be the difference in a game. It has, it has hurt them once, maybe this season, maybe twice, but they actually have done really well of shooting down the stretch of games and making free throws a lot of times and and being really good in the second half. Um, So it just seems like concentration seems to be a thing when, when more pressure and more emphasis is put on shots, they've done pretty well in in the second half of games shooting them and in as a whole, as a whole for the season, not necessarily in every single game. So I think if the pressure of the NCAA tournament, hopefully that means they'll lock in a little bit better and shoot pretty well there. But that is a big concern for them. You know, the, the two areas that have hurt them the most are shooting shooting from the outside, shooting three-pointers, and then shooting at the free-throw line. You know, they give up some points in both those areas. When they shoot really well, they're one of the one of the toughest teams to beat in the country. Shagan, you alluded to this question earlier. It's from Rob. He tweeted, uh, better for USC to win the Pac-12 tourney, po- possibly better seed, or better for them to just win the opening round and then have extra days rest for the NCAA tournament? Or maybe another way to ask this, does the NCAA committee care at all about the Pac-12 tourney result as far as SC is concerned? I think they will care about the um, tourney result because it could be 
maybe two quad one wins there. You, you know, Colorado's definitely one. It depends on where Col- uh, Oregon would be if they played Oregon in the the first round, or I mean, in the championship, or if they played UCLA. Depending on where those teams are, could be two quad one wins that would help boost their resume. So I think they could push them up a seed line. You know, right now you've seen a lot of five and sixes. Can they get to the four seed? And you know, people say, you know, people on the message board say we don't want the four seed because then you potentially put, face that number one a little bit sooner, which is true. But it's the NCAA tournament, and you never know what's going to happen. One of those one seeds could go out in the second round to an eight or nine seed. You never know how how things are going to play out. So I think you try to take the best seed you can and get to as far as you can. And you face the number one seed in the Sweet 16, then hey, you, you take your chances because USC's only made the Sweet 16 twice since they've gone to the expanded format. Um, in what the 70s, the 80s, whenever it was that they, they went to the full 64 team team, 64 team tournament, and now the 68 team. So I think you just take your chances. You try to take the best seed that you can. I think you want to win if you're USC because that that championship means so much, and the fact that it's eluded this this program for so long, even the tournament championship. I think it's really important to them to win that. As far as you know, getting tired, they should be well rested by the time they get to Indianapolis. Uh, they, they should have some, you know, the time off. They, their body should be healed after five or six days off. You know, they're not playing a game Tuesday or Monday like they have multiple times in the Pac-12. So I think they're kind of used to that, all the travel and playing early in the week and then having to play later like they did a, a few times there. And we're really tired after that Utah game. I don't think that'll be an issue. So I think you want to just try to you try to win the tournament and, and you know, go from there. We had a question from JJ who said, how many on the current roster do we expect to have a uh, return next year? Taj, Peterson, Isaiah Mobley, Bauman, Anderson, Goodwin, all should come back unless transferring and can't see why they would leave and not build on this season. Well, each one of them is going to come down to personal preference. Um, when you're looking at Anderson is going to come back. Bauman, I, I believe, is going to come back. The, you Maybe you worry a little bit about the transfer there just because he has transferred before and because he's not being utilized a lot at the end of the season. He's had some confidence issues when he's shooting in games. Got to get him back. When he's he's on, he can be deadly. And he can kind of transform this team as well. Peterson is going to be here. Isaiah Mobley is a question mark. I think he should come back for another year and be the big guy down low with his brother gone next year the NBA. I think it would help his development to be the primary guy. He wasn't that last year. Uh, you know, can he be that next year and you know get some extra reps down low? Goodwin and Taj are really interesting because they're older guys. Do they want to continue to play college? I asked Taj this on the Heard on the Sidelines podcast a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, I haven't really got the experience of being at USC as a regular student. You know, it's basically been I've been in the gym and I've been back in my apartment. That's that's basically the the life that they're living right now. So do you want that experience? Or Taj is a little bit older. You know, he went to a year of um, of prep school after high school. So does he want to say, you know, it's time for me to start my pro career and go overseas and play somewhere or see if he can link up with a G League and if he makes enough shots, work his way up and potentially make it to the NBA. You know, those are those are the questions you're going to be asking. Isaiah White is similar situation. He's got a wife and kids. You know, does he want to go ahead and start his professional career or, you know, are, are they financially stable enough that he can go for another year of college? Those are the questions that those older guys are going to be asking. And I think it's hard to answer those, you know, without them, them, you know, giving us a little bit of insight on them. So I think you're going to lose a couple of the older guys. And then, like I said, the only other question of uh, is Isaiah Mobley, whether he decides to make that jump, which, like I said, I think he should come back. I think another year of development would be good for him. And our final question comes from our buddy Scott Rodriguez, who says, uh, do you think Enfield will get a big raise? And will your prediction be USC winning it? I assume the Pac-12 attorney. If not, why? Does Enfield get a big raise? That's a that's a question. I don't know the specifics of the contract and when, you know, I would not be surprised if he gets an extension off of this, whether it's a one year or two year, just add a little bit more. I think he'll get a bonus for winning coach of the year. I'm guessing, you know, usually that's the the terminology in a lot of these contracts. And will you, my prediction for USC winning the conference tournament, I don't think they will because Oregon is playing so well that I would be surprised if they do not win the conference tournament. You know, besides the first half of that USC game, they have been dynamic and playing at a high, high level for the last month or so since they came back from their second COVID pause. They got Will Richardson back, and he's kind of changed their lineups a lot. The fact that they can get the ball to him and he can beat people off the dribble along with Duarte, along with um, Omarui and, and the, the pieces that they have. The big question for them is if they play USC again. 
because USC has the inside height and can beat them down low that other teams can't necessarily do with the way and USC handles the ball well enough. That's the thing is Oregon is not big. You know, they're, they have one guy, I think that's over six foot eight right now. So, you know, they're, they're playing much smaller lineups almost all the time. And USC was able to take advantage of that and really hammer them and beat them on the defensive end as well in that first half. So I think that's the be- the toughest matchup for Oregon. But I think they're playing really, really well right now. And the fact that it's on a neutral court, I'm going to take Oregon to win the Pac-12 tournament. Look at that. Oh, nice. All right. Well, that's not what USC fans, USC fans want to hear. They'd like a little bit of revenge there. It's not Maybe not revenge, like we said, the Winning the tournament after not winning the uh, the regular season, but you got to give USC a chance here in this one. And if they play better um, than we've seen, and you know maybe some of those games, I think they got a a decent shot. But it should be a fun packed off tournament. Shotgun Spratling will be there, so make sure you follow him along the way, covering everything that's uh, going on. Where is it in Vegas? Is it the MGM? Where do they have this? Uh, the T-Mobile Arena. T-Mobile across Arena. from MGM. Okay, so yeah, it should be. Uh, should be an interesting one. And this was an interesting show. We got a little hoops <laughs> in. We got some scholarship talks, you know, guy, whatever, all this stuff. There's a lot going on. So uh, it, it feels like a crossover episode. You know how they used to have that <laughs> on shows? It's like tunnel vision, but like remixed. <laughs> it's, yeah. When I'm like up you're know, writing the uh, the description to, to upload the show, it's like, you know, usually talk about what me and Keely are saying. Now we got shotgun coming in and, and talking about things. So the gang's um, all here. The gang's all here, but hopefully you guys all in uh, you enjoyed the show there. One, one interesting thing from the Pac-12 tournament is that families will be allowed. So I think that's a positive sign towards what could happen in the fall for football as well. The fact that families are going to be allowed to attend at the basketball games. Interesting. Um, yeah, we get questions about that kind of stuff quite a bit about, hey, what can you cover? What are you going to you know be around? You know, what can you do when you're there? The, the fact that families are there. Uh, that's great. Um, people are asking, you know, spring football starts the end of this month, uh, March 30th. People are asking, are we going to be able to go? We don't know. But when I had my, you know, one of my conversations with Clay Hilton on the phone, he seemed to keep that option open. So he was mm. like, he told me he was hopeful that we have see us out there. So I don't think he meant over Zoom. I think he'd actually met, you know, so I think they're still trying to come up with, the plan for that. So we'll, we'll let you know as soon as we find out anything, but that's good. I mean, I, I want to be optimistic to be able to cover some of this stuff. So it's, this is uh get back to normal, you know, it's like, safely, if we can do it, I think this is going to be cool. Which is crazy because we're literally a day away from the anniversary of the first and only spring practice. And I remember Ryan, you didn't even go. And I remember telling you on the phone when I was recapping, you, I was like, I don't think we're going to be able to go to any more spring practices. So Happy one-year anniversary. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been to a spring practice. I really want to go, you know? Yeah. Only two years for you now. It's only two <laughs> And I, it was funny because I remember that was the night. It was the, like the San Diego Trojan Club, I believe yeah. it was, that honoring um, Jake Olson. And he was, I think, like his college football play, you know, in the Western Michigan game was like a like number two or number three most inspirational moment of like the century in college football. Like it was some big thing. And they asked me to MC the event and I'm sitting there to Chris O'Dowd talking to him and talking to Jake. And we're just like, and they announced like that day, like you can't have any events and everyone, yeah. no one was sure what to do. Can you shake hands? Like we, it was just the very early stuff and we're at the dinner and some people start looking at their phone, like, Holy crap, the NBA just canceled this season. <laughs> and we're like, what? Yeah. You know? So and we all just knew like, this is probably the last thing we're going to do. That's cool for a while. And it was, <laughs> Yeah, because what <laughs> happened for us, it was we ended spring practice. Dan and I are walking over to Heritage Hall to do instant. And in the time of spring practice ending and walking to do instant, the NBA canceled the games. And we were like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> so it was a train reaction. Yeah. And if, you know, if you're a sports fan, like the NBA kind of led the way, right? Because we, we probably we would have got there. It was just going to be like this is this real? Is it blah, blah, blah. You know, but once the NBA did that, you were like, everyone took notice. Like it was like, Oh, Whoa, this is, this isn't a joke. This is serious. Yeah. The the NBA led, but also the Olympics. That was one of the big things I talked with, with some coaches, um, you know, early on and leading into that, you know, when things started getting canceled a little bit, you said a lot of, a lot of uh, organizations were looking towards the Olympics as a worldwide organization 
as to how they would deal with it. And when the Olympics were canceled, I think the NCAA followed almost immediately after that, and you saw pretty much just a cancellation. I mean, the NCAA canceled the college basketball tournament, but also quickly canceled the College World Series for baseball, which was you know multiple months away at that point. So you know things moved really rapidly that week. It was kind of a hectic, crazy week. Um, but and that was you know I flew to Vegas and got a cupcake because <laughs> I was going. I normally always drive. But I decided to fly um, and flew in for the Pac-12 basketball tournament and immediately turned around after getting a cupcake in the in the uh, airport because everything had been canceled. By the time okay. I, I by the time I landed, I got an e- email from the Pac-12 saying everything was canceled. Well, here's to hoping you get more than a cupcake this time around. <laughs> yeah, with the whole enchilada. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they cancel things when you go this time. There's something major been going on in the country. Let's. Uh... Maybe it's yeah. just a shotgun thing. They're like, oh, shotgun's here. Cancel it. <laughs> shotgun's in Vegas. We like got to cancel everything. Yep, exactly. Um, what happens in Vegas, guys? Yeah. <laughs> we'll keep you up to date on what's going on uh, as far as college football goes as the spring football practice at the end of the month. Like you said, any other news that's going on and, and make sure you're following uh, along with shotgun as the USC basketball team tries to make a run, obviously in the Pac-12 tournament and then the NCAA tournament after that but for keely your shotgun spraddling i am ryan abraham thanks so much for tuning in to the parastyle podcast and we will talk to you next time you may have noticed that shopping at trader joe's is unlike shopping at other markets people ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices this is dan bain of trader joe's the answer is simple it's all in the way we do business we buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.